Chapter 6, Part 2 of The Star of Gettysburg. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Michael Packard. The Star of Gettysburg by Joseph A. Altscheller. Chapter 6 A Christmas Dinner. Part 2 Caesar Moncrief washed all the dishes. Those left in the house had been sufficient for their purpose, wiped them carefully, and returned them to the cupboard. Then he announced that he must go. "'Come now, Santa Claus,' said Happy Tom. "'You must stay here. You've done enough for one day. In fact, I should say that you've earned a week's rest.' "'I ain't no Santa Claus,' said Caesar. "'But I done got to get back to Massa Moncrief. He'll be expecting me.' but you'll get lost in the dark. Besides, some Yankee scout may shoot the top of your head off. You can't lose me anywhere around here. Besides, I can dodge them Yankees every time. On a dark night like this, I could go right up the gullies and through the biggest army in the world without it seeing me. Caesar felt that he was bound to go, and all the officers in turn shook his big, rough black hand. Then they saw him ride away in the darkness armed with his pass from General Jackson, and on the lookout for any prowling Yankees who might have ventured on the right bank of the river. "'Isn't it odd, Colonel?' said Harry to Colonel Talbot. "'That so many of our colored people regard the Yankees, who are trying now to free them, as enemies, while they look upon us as their best friends.' "'Propinquity and association, Harry,' replied Colonel Talbot. "'And in the border states, at least, we have seldom been cruel to them.' I hope there has been little cruelty, too, in my own South Carolina. They are used to our ways, and they turn to us for the help that is seldom refused. The Northerner will always be a stranger to them, and an unsympathetic stranger, because there is no personal contact, none of that give and take which makes men friends. What a pity we didn't free him ourselves long ago. Yes, it is. I say this to you in confidence now, Harry, of course. I would be denounced by our people if I said it. Many of our famous men, Harry, have not approved of it. The great Washington said slavery, with its shiftless methods of farming, was draining the life out of the land, and he was right. Haven't we seen the old fields of Virginia? And Clay was against it, too, said Harry. But I suppose it's one of the things we're now fighting for unless we should choose to liberate them ourselves after defeating the North. I suppose so, said Colonel Talbot, but I am no politician or statesman. My trade unfits me for such matters. I am a West Pointer, and a proud and glorious fact I consider it, too. But the life of a regular army officer makes him a man set apart. He is not really in touch with the nation. He cannot be, because he has so little personal contact with it. For that reason, West Pointers should never aspire to public office. It does not suit them, and they seldom succeed in it. But here, I am becoming a prosy old bore. Come into the house, lad. The boys are growing sentimental. Listen to their song. It's the same, isn't it, that some of our bands played at Bull Run? Yes, it is, sir, replied Harry as he joined the others in the song. 
the hour was sad i left the maid a lingering farewell taking her sighs and tears my steps delayed i thought her heart was breaking in hurried words her name i blessed i breathed the vows that bind me and to my heart in anguish pressed the girl i left behind me most of the officers had leave for the full day harry and dalton in fact were to stay overnight at the house and forgetful of the war they sang one song after another until evening waned at nine o'clock all the guests left save harry and dalton you and langdon will show them to their rooms said colonel talbot take the candle the rest of us can sit here by the firelight there was but a single candle and it was already burning low but happy tom and arthur shielding it from draughts led the way to the second floor most of the houses were demolished by cannon shot and fire said langdon but we've a habitable room which we reserve for guests of high degree you will note here where a cannon shot the result of purging fire came slantingly through the roof and passed out the wall on the other side you need not get under that hole if it should rain or snow and meanwhile it serves splendidly for ventilation the rip in the wall serves the same purpose and of course you have too much sense to fall through it some blankets are spread there in the corner and as you have your heavy cloaks with you you ought to make out sorry we can't treat you any better sir harry of kentucky and sir george of virginia but these are distressful times and the best the castle affords is put at your service and i suspect it's really the best said harry to dalton as st clair and langdon went out there's straw under these blankets george and we got a real bed the moonlight shone through the two windows in the cannon-shot hole and it was bright in the room there's a little bureau by the wall said dalton and as i intend to enjoy the luxury of undressing i'm going to put my clothes in it where they'll keep dry you'll notice that uh, all the panes have been shot out of those windows and a driving rain should sweep all the way across the room now and then a good idea springs up in some way in that old head of yours george i'll do the same dalton opened the top drawer something's been left here he said he held up a large doll with blue eyes and yellow hair as sure as we're living said harry we're in the room of miss julia moncrief age nine the young lady who sent us the holly evidently they took away all their clothing and lighter articles of furniture but they forgot the doll put it back george they'll return to fredericksburg some day and we want her to find it there you're right harry said dalton as he replaced the doll and closed the drawer you and i ought to be grateful to that little girl whom we may never see we won't forget said harry as he undressed rapidly and lay down upon their luxurious bed of blankets and straw neither of them remembered anything until they were dragged into the middle of the room the next morning by st clair and langdon here here wake up wake up cried langdon it's not polite to your host to be snoring away when breakfast is almost ready go down on a piece of the back porch that's left and you'll find two pans of cold water in which you can wash your faces it's true the pans are frozen over but you can break the ice and it will remind you of home and your little boyhood they sprang and dressed as rapidly as they could because when they came from the covers they found it icy cold in the room 
Then they ran down, as they had been directed, broke the ice in the pans, and bathed their faces. <laughs> Fine air, said Harry. Yes, and, and too much of it, said Dalton. It freezes me. L look at those icicles, George. I think some new ones came to town last night. And what a cold river. I don't believe there is ever a colder-looking river than the Rappahannock. And see the fogs and mists rising from it, too. It looks exactly as it did the morning of the battle. Let it look as it pleases, said Harry. I'm going to make a dash for the inside in a fire. They found the colonels and the rest of the staff in the sitting-room, all except two, who were acting as cooks. But their work ceased in a moment or two, as breakfast was ready. It consisted of coffee and bread and ham left over from the night before. A heap of timber glowed in the fireplace, and shot forth ruddy flames. Harry's soul fairly warmed within him. "'Sit down, all of you,' said Colonel Talbot, "'and we will help one another.' They ate with the appetite of a soldier, and Colonel Talbot and Lieutenant Colonel St. Hillier, finishing first, withdrew to a wide window seat. There they produced the board and box of chessmen, and proceeded to rearrange them, exactly as they were before the Battle of Fredericksburg. "'You will recall that your king was in great danger, Leonidas,' said Lieutenant Colonel Hector St. Hillier. "'Truly I do, Hector.' but I do not think it's beyond my power to rescue him. It will be a hard task, Leonidas. Hector, I would have you to remember that I am an officer in the Army of Northern Virginia, and the Army of Northern Virginia prefers hard tasks to easy ones. You put the truth happily, Leonidas, but I must insist that your position is one of uncommon danger. I recognize the fact fully, Hector but I assert firmly that I will rescue my Red King. Harry, his part of the work finished, watched them. The two gray heads bent lower and lower over the table, until they almost touched. Everybody maintained a respectful silence. Colonel Talbot's brow was corded deeply with thought. It was a full quarter of an hour before he made a move, and then his opponent looked surprised. That doesn't seem to be your right move, Leonidas. But it is, Hector, as you will see presently. Very well. I will now choose my own course. Lieutenant Colonel St. Hillier's own brow became corded and knotted as he put his whole mental energy upon the problem. Harry watched them a little while. Then he strolled over to the other window, where St. Clair was looking at the ruined town. Curious how people can find entertainment in so slow a game, he said, nodding towards the two colonels. That same game has been going on for more than a year, said St. Clair, with a slight smile. It's odd how something always breaks it up. I wonder what it will be this time. But it is an intelligent game, Harry. I don't think a sport is intellectual merely because it is slow. Lieutenant Colonel St. Hillier made a move. Colonel Leonidas Talbot made another, and then promptly uttered a little cry of triumph. My king is free! He is free! You made no royal capture, Hector! he exclaimed joyously. It is so, Leonidas. I did not foresee your path of retreat. 
and must enter upon a new campaign against you. Harry, who was looking towards the heights on the other side of the river, saw a flash of flame and a puff of smoke. A rumbling noise came to him. What is it, Harry? asked Colonel Talbot. A Yankee cannon. I suppose it was telling us Christmas is over. The ball struck somewhere in Fredericksburg. A waste of good ammunition. Why, they've done all the damage to Fredericksburg that they can do. It's your move, Hector. Lieutenant Colonel St. Hilaire corded and nodded his brow again, and once more the two heads nearly met over the chessboard. A whistling sound suddenly came from the street without. Something struck with a terrible impact, and then followed a blinding flash and roar. The whole house shook, and several of the men were thrown down, but in a half a minute they sprang to their feet. Colonel Leonidas Talbot and Lieutenant Colonel St. Hilaire were standing erect, staring at each other. The chessmen were scattered on the floor, and the board was split in half. A fragment of the exploding shell had entered the window, and, passing directly between them, had done the damage. The same piece had gone entirely through the opposite wall. Harry's quick glance told him that nothing had suffered except the chessboard. He sprang forward, picked up the two halves, and said, No real harm has been done. The two strips underneath, a few tacks, and it's as good as ever. The other lads carefully gathered up the scattered chessmen and announced that not one of them was injured. Thank you, boys, said Colonel Talbot. It is a pleasing thing to see that, despite the war, the young still show courtesy to their elders. You will bear in mind, Hector, that when this game is resumed, at the proper time and place, that the position of one of your knights was very delicate. Assuredly I will not forget it, Leonidas. It will be no trouble to either of us to replace them exactly as they were at a moment's notice. Harry and Dalton were compelled now to return to General Jackson, and they did so, after leaving many thanks with their generous hosts. Heavy winter rains began. The country on both sides of the Rappahannock became a vast sea of mud, and the soldiers had to struggle against all the elements, because the rains were icy, and the mud formed a crust through which they broke in the morning. While they lingered here, news came of the great battle in the West, fought on the last day of the old year and the first day of the new, along the banks of Stone River. Harry and his comrades looked for a triumph there like that which they had won, and they were deeply disappointed when they heard the result. Harry had a copy of a Richmond paper, and he was reading from it to an attentive circle. But he stopped to comment. Ours was a smaller army, but we drove them back and held part of the field. Two or three days later we withdrew to Chattanooga. Well, I don't call it much of a victory to thump your enemy and then go away, leaving them in possession of the field. But the enemy was a third more numerous than we were, said Happy Tom. And since it looks like a draw, so far as the fighting was concerned, we, being the smaller, get the honors. That's just the trouble, said Dalton gravely. We are loaded down with honors. Look at the great victories we've won in the East. Has anything solid come of them? Here is the enemy on Virginia soil, just as he was before. We've given the Army of the Potomac a terrible thrashing at Fredericksburg. But there it is on the other side of the Rappahannock, just as strong as ever. It may be stronger because they say recruits are pouring into it. 
Stop, stop, Dalton, said Happy Tom. We don't want any lecture from you. We're just having a conversation. All right, said Dalton, laughing. But I gave you my opinion. Days of comparative idleness followed. The Army of the Potomac moved farther up the river and settled itself around the village of Falmouth. The Army of Northern Virginia faced it, and along the hillsides the young Southerners erected signposts, on the boards of which were painted in letters large enough for the Union glasses to see the derisive words, This Way to Richmond. End of chapter 6, part 2 Recording by Michael Packard